Wow, good morning. As you know, we're in this, we're doing a series on 1 Peter, and we are today in part three, okay? And uh, the three of us are sharing it, uh, Colin, myself, and Lassia, so you will hear different ones of us speak on 1 Peter. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and open our minds, enlighten our hearts, give us understanding and wisdom to obey and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've, so far we've looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to, um, il, gosh I can't see, what is this, 12, okay. We looked at how, who is Peter, who is he addressing, and we've said that this book, unlike other books that were addressed to specific churches, like the church in Corinth, or the church in Colossae, or the church in Ephesians, this is a general letter, a letter written to an entire region. Which region? It says, we have a clue here, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay. These are people, these are the Jews or the diaspora that fled Jerusalem at the time of persecution and they landed up in what is today modern Turkey, uh, Turkey and uh, what was called Asia Minor. Now there are not only Jews in, this, in, the, in the audience, I mean the people that are reading, but there are also Gentile converts. But we know that he, uh, Peter is specifically referred to this, he is writing this letter to the scattered, the Jews that were scattered. And so the, the whole letter is peppered with a lot of uh, reference to what we now know as the Old Testament, but they still knew as the law. Okay? So, verses 1 to 12, what does Peter do? He reminds them, he says that he says, you know, you are chosen. How have you been chosen? By the, by the foreknowledge of God the Father, sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Why? And you are being preserved by the power of God. What is happening to you right now? All these trials, these tests that are coming, are coming to prove your faith pure. And all this that you know, that we've said foreknew, uh, the Father foreknew and all that, he says, was predicted by the prophets of old, okay? They, they longed for this. They searched the scriptures to know the time when this would happen, but it was not meant for them. They wrote about a time that they would not actually physically enjoy. And it says, and even angels longed to know about it. So Peter was reminding them that they are a privileged people and that they therefore need to live in a certain way. They need to guard their minds and take a serious view of life and put their hope only in Jesus. Isn't this relevant today for us as well? You know, our faith is being challenged. What we believe is being challenged. Trials are coming. Testing is coming. Will our faith be proven pure? 
So there are three things that we will look at as we look at today's passage, which is from verse 13 to 25. And let's read it. Okay. So in view of all that was said, you know, that you are the chosen people by the foreknowledge of God, sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, called into a living hope that will never spoil nor perish, and all of that, he says, therefore, in view of all this, in the light of what I have said, therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, he chose you before the creation of the world to be, to be revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from their dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have, been purif you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Amen. So we're going to look at three things, the mindset of the saved, the manner of the saved, and then the, the motivation of the saved and the manner of the saved. Verse 13, we are now coming to the meat of this letter. And Peter is encouraging his readers, he says, come on, be alert, be alert, okay? The message translation says, come on, roll up your sleeves. When do you roll up your sleeves? When you're getting ready for some work, for some action. The ESV says, set your minds for action. The New King James Version says, gird up your loins. This is such an old phrase that needs explanation. Okay? Gird up your loins. <laughs> what on earth is that? Okay? In those days, uh, the, the crude Hindi translation is langot. Okay? Langod ko tight karo. Okay? It's, it's basically saying when you're getting ready to run or in a fight, you don't want any of your garments hanging loose lest they get caught in something. So you pull it up, you tighten it, and you get ready for action. Okay? So that's the picture Peter is uh, portraying to them. He says, be alert of sober mind. In, verse, uh, in 1 Peter 5.8, he repeats it. He says, be alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. What do we need to be alert about? One is, we, to have an alert mind means to be able to be discerning, to be wise, 
to be able to dis distinguish between good and evil. Now you may say, ah, good and evil we know. Lies is lies, truth is truth, uh, cheating is cheating, being honest is honest. But sometimes, my friends, and especially today, can we distinguish between what is good and nearly as good? Can we distinguish between truth and almost the truth? And that is the challenge. Because there are so many things going around that sound like truth, but is it really the truth? Set your minds on God. Be alert. Be alert. Prepare your mind for action. Do not be caught off guard. It's like when, if you're participating in a quiz. Anyone participated in a quiz? Do you know what questions are going to be fired at you? No. But you're, are you at that time thinking, oh, I'll go home and I'll watch season four of whatever, <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I hope my Netflix subscription has been renewed. Are you thinking about that at that time? You're totally focused. They say, okay, now it's the history round. So you're quickly in your mind going, okay, history, history, history. Or there's a rapid fire question in like, in, uh, you have to press that buzzer quickly because if someone else presses it, they get the point. What is your mind at that time? What state is it in? Alert. What else? Focused. It's not distracted. And that's what uh, uh, Peter is telling them. You know, in Romans 12, 2, you know, the old term was cross-reference. We're going to use new terms. Hyperlink. Hyperlink. What is the hyperlink? What hyperlinks can you think of? To How do you keep your mind? Romans 12, 2 says, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind. That's one hyperlink for you. What are some of the attacks on the mind? One is you can doubt God's goodness, his love, his faithfulness. Is God really good? Then why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And we ask this question. I say, rather, ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? What do you want me to learn about my identity as a son? What do you want me to learn as the, uh, what do you want me to learn about my authority as a son? Is this a time for me to just rest in your sovereignty? Or are you asking me to take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and fight? What is it? Don't ask why, ask what. What do you want me to do in this season? We get attacked with temptation, okay, where we try to fulfill legitimate needs through illegitimate means. What do I mean? Okay, we want to save money, so we avoid our taxes. Is that right? To save money is good. Is it good? Evading tax? That's not good. Okay? You, um, you want to go home fast from work, so you take some shortcuts in work. Oh, you break the signal because you, you left the home late. You break the signal. You want to reach work on time. Is that good? Yes. Break the signal? No. Okay? So we are tempted. When are we tempted? When we are under pressure. When we have this choice. Because this might be costly. Okay? 
the, the sticking for truth or sticking for doing what is right might be costly. We can, ha we can entertain unwholesome thought, thoughts towards our brothers and sisters and therefore create disunity in the body of Christ. So what is a sober mind? What is the opposite of sober? Drunk. Okay. How does a drunk person behave? Okay, he has no control over his thoughts, no control, little or no control over his senses, his feelings, his emotions, even his, his legs. What is the test? They say, stand on one leg. Can you walk on this line without wavering? Right? So he's saying, don't be like a drunk person. What does a drunk mind look like? It's all over the place. Its thinking is clouded. It's foggy. Can't think straight. Can't give them an, uh, a math problem to solve when they're drunk. Because two plus two is two. Two only, no. Two and two, two. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Don't, you can't give that to a drunk person. We can be drunk on many things. We can be drunk on the pleasures of life. We can be drunk on wrong thinking. We can be drunk on offense. That so clouds our thinking. We can be drunk on self-pity, that you can't see beyond a navel gaze. So let's be alert in our minds. Verse 14, Peter reminds them, he says, you know, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As obedient children. Peter reminds them to be obedient and not to go back to old ways of living, old patterns, old habits that led to sin. Okay? This was their lifestyle before they knew Jesus. He says, remember, in, in um, chapter, in verse 2, he says, strangers, elect. And he uses this phrase often. He says, you're strangers. You, you don't belong to this world. Be obedient. Do not conform to these patterns. In verse 15, he reminds them that they're called to holiness, okay, to holiness. He says, but just as he who called you to be holy, be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy as I am holy, which is a reference from Leviticus 11:44 to 45. He's, Peter is quoting Old Testament God always wanted a people that were set apart for him. We're looking at the mindset of the saved, okay? An alert mind, people that are set apart, okay? Right from the Garden of Eden, God wanted a people that were set apart. They blew it, and then, you know, the floods came. Noah, he wanted a people that were set apart. Things happen again, wickedness. And then, Abraham, I have called you out, to become a nation set apart. And that was God's intent right through. And now we are that holy nation, that royal priesthood, people wholly belonging to God. You will see that in the next chapter. And he's saying, do not live by the world's standards. Like I said, the apostles taught a lot from what we now call the Old Testament. And they taught from what Jesus taught, which was essentially the Sermon on the Mount and all the parables that he taught. Today we have it as what we call the New Testament. 
those days, even the letters didn't go to every church. So they didn't even have the, all of them did not read the epistles as we read today. But they did have the Holy Spirit that you and I also have. The Holy Spirit was there to enlighten them, to empower them, to energize them from within. So it was not, Peter was telling them not to live by the old way of life, okay? Not by external rules and regulations, but rather to live by internal convictions that comes from true obedience, okay? Holy. We don't like to use that word today, do, do we? You know, we used to, when we were kids, uh, and if anybody was a goody-goody, we say, hey, don't be a holy Joe. I don't know if any of you all used it. Hey, he's one holy Joe, you know? Meant the guy never did anything wrong, he was straight, he, he um, you know, abided by all the rules, was not a naughty boy or not a naughty girl, and we'd say, and it almost became, being holy was despised. And we were made to feel like, oh, if you're too straight, you're, you're boring. Isn't that? You're not cool. You're not with it, yo, you know? I don't think you're still now old, okay, <laughs> you know? But holy is what we are called to be, to live at a standard above and beyond the world, which is attractive and which is recognizably different. People need to be attracted to your lifestyle. Are people attracted? Do they say, hey, what's different about you, you know? You don't do crazy things like the rest, but you still seem to be happy and having a good life. What is it? That verse 17 says, Since you call on Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Again, the same thing. Live out your time as strangers, the elect, the foreigners, the scattered in reverent fear. Fear of God, again, something we don't talk about. But trust me, when we see him, when he will come with trumpet sound, there will be great fear. You know, the angels and everybody will just bow before him. There is a good fear of God. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord keeps us from sin. And he's, that is what Peter is reminding them of. He says, we need to live with a degree of detachment and how often we are pulled by material desires. All of us, me included, you know. When I go, I see a beautiful house and I'm like, mm, you know, yeah, I'd like to rearrange my thing like this, like this, like that. And we all, we get that, you know, moments. But do not let those things, not, please don't hear me wrong, okay? Good to have good things, all in balance. He says, but we need to remind ourselves that God will judge. Therefore, I need to live in holy fear. Now, wait a minute. You may say, hey, judge? I thought judgment is only for those who do not accept Jesus. What is this judging? Will Christians be judged? Well, here's what the Bible says. Okay, verse 17, let's read that again. 
Call on God who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your life as foreigners here. And he's referring, he's talking to Christ followers. So we have been made, sometimes what happens is, things that we don't like to hear, though, that are inconvenient to our lifestyle, we question. But this, it's here in black and white. And what happens is we tend to make God in our image. And we try and explain grace and mercy and love and truth in our own way to weaponize scripture to justify our own actions. And we need to be careful of that. The fact is, there is a judgment. What is this? Okay? Our works will be judged, not our faith. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Not works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2 verse 9 and 10. We are very clear on that. However, your works will be judged. There is a difference between reward and inheritance. Inheritance is what you get by virtue of belonging to Christ. When you're a new creation, you become co-heirs with God. There's an inheritance. What is that inheritance? The blessings, the favor, the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. All those things. Everything that is there in the heavenly places belongs to us. On this side of the planet, we can access it. That's our inheritance as saints. We don't fight this battle on our own. But there is a judgment and there is a reward because if you remember the parables that Jesus uh, preached on, what did he say? When the master comes back, he will judge the servants according to what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Here is your, your reward. Clear? Okay. So remember, we spoke of grace as something that is given to us, again, we got to understand certain words in their historical context. The, the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews of that time knew exactly what grace meant. And we said it is what a patron does to someone who can never repay. Say you've gone through a calamity, you go to a rich patron and you say, please help me. The patron knows you can never pay it back. He gives you that amount of money to rebuild. Remember we just said, the bakery burnt down. He gives you money to rebuild the bakery. Then the patron tells his friends also, now go buy bread from, who was he? Our, who, what name we gave him? Cornelius or whoever. Okay? Go buy bread from him. You, you give him wheat, you give him flour at a discount. Okay? And you, you give him oil at a discount. Don't charge him the full price. And he needs wood fire, you give it to him. And so the patron uses his good offices. He uses his favors. He bestows it upon you. And what is the response? Loyalty on the part of the client. It's called the client or us. Loyalty. We have been saved by grace. Can you pay back Jesus? You can never pay him back. But it requires our loyalty. It requires a response. Okay? So what is the motivation of the saved? Let's look at this. Verses 18 to 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold, silver, uh, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that you lived, but with, precious, with the precious blood of Jesus, 
uh, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed at the last time for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. So you see Peter in verse 18 circling back, reminding them of their salvation. He's saying it's an, uh, and it's an indestructible nature. This salvation that can never be spoiled. And he's giving them an eternity perspective. He says, yes, these trials are there, but for a short while. But one day we will see him. When your faith that has been tested through fire is proven pure, you will one day meet him. That is our hope. That is our eternal hope. Keep that in mind. He's saying, strong, he, and he makes this strong statement, you know, empty way of life from, that you got from your ancestors. Now imagine saying that to a Jew. Telling a Jew, you know what you got from your ancestors? Immediately who are they thinking of? Our father Abraham, Moses, da da da. And you're calling it empty. What is Peter saying? What Peter is saying is that the law cannot save you. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You have not been saved because of your heritage, by virtue of being Jews. You are saved because of that precious blood that was shed by this perfect Lamb of God without spot, wrinkle or blemish. You know, in Galatians 3.2, the law is an, like an old school master, it says, that is there to drive you to Jesus. The law cannot save you, but the law drives you to Jesus. He's reminding them, verse 20, 21, hey, you remember, you're the scattered, you're the elect, you're the chosen. When were you chosen? Foreknowledge of the Father, according to, you know, so that the salvation plan, you can see, is not an afterthought. It was there, it says, before the foundations of the world was laid. You were chosen. Okay, and it has now, all that plan that God had, that the prophets hoped to see in their lifetime but never happened, has happened now for your sake. He says here, for your sake, in verse 20, revealed at the last time for your sake so that you could come to faith. We are not redeemed by physical things, but things that are far more precious than gold and silver. Therefore, it requires a response. We looked at the mindset of the saved. We've looked at the motivation. The motivation is this great sacrifice that Jesus has done. And now, what is the response? What is the manner of the saved? How then shall we live? Our response is to make ourselves pure and holy. How do we do that? And he tells us that in verse 22. He says, by obeying the truth. So obedience is the key. When we obey the truth, when we get rid of the sinful, corrupt <coughs> uh, things in our lives, okay, that is obedience. When we put to death the deeds of the flesh, so what is my obedience quotient? How pure my life is, is directly proportional to my obedience. The more I obey, the more I get purified. You know, 
you would say this understanding of salvation, this testing, these trials, you know, transforming us. For what? For what? And it's a strange thing he moves into here. Okay? He says, obedience, obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. You think obeying the truth so that you get rewards, you get an inheritance, you get position, you get power. What does he say? For love one another. Wow. You know? He says, I'm reminded of John 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is my command. Love one another. Few hours before the crucifixion, this is the last thing Jesus wants them to remember. Love one another. Is it not important? Is it not important? The message translates it, love one another as though your life depends on it. The KJV says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. The ESV says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Obeying the truth, you know, only the word of God can purify us. Hyperlink. Where does it say that you know, the word will wash us? In Ephesians 5, he says, he's making his bride holy. How? By washing her with the word of truth. Let the word of God wash over you. May truth wash over you. Because truth will set you free to obey what is right and good. It is like yeast. I bake. I like baking when I have the time. It's that much. I put two teaspoons of yeast for about 750 uh, grams of flour. Such a tiny bit. And that whole thing doubles in size. You know? And our obedience is like that activation, that yeast. See, just reading your Bible won't do anything. Don't read it like a mantra. Huh? But when you put it into practice, that is the yeast that gets mixed. It gets activated and it starts to breathe life in you. The Bible constantly refers to the word of God as seed. There was a farmer, he went to sow and he sowed seed. Anything wrong with the seed? Nothing wrong with the seed. What was the problem? The soil. What is the soil? Our hearts. And that's what Jesus says. He says, you know, the one, the man who obeyed, put it into practice, was like the man on whose, you know, where this, the seed fell on good soil and it bore 30, 50, 100 fold. Let us be people who obey. You know, Peter goes on to qualify this love in 22b. He says, Love deeply, deeply. Love one another deeply from the heart, without falsehood, without hypocrisy, without pretense. That means sometimes we have to do courageous things. That when there is conflict, you have the courage to go and speak to the person. That is sincere love. How many of us do it? Or we talk to somebody else, we talk to that one and this one, and we bring our bad yeast into the church, leaven that 
corrupts the whole lump. Pure love, sincere love, is courageous love. Courageous love. Let us be ones who are courageous to not just love and go the extra mile, but also love and be courageous and gracious when things don't go well. Yeah, it's so easy to quit and leave. It takes no effort. It takes a lot of effort and courage to stay and resolve your problem. How many husbands and wives fight? Just put your hands right up. Huh? No, don't, don't act all holy joes here. Okay. We all fight. Huh? At the first fight, do we pack our bag and walk out? Huh? I think Colin and I must have had thousands of fights in 32 years. Right? Well, I, my, I haven't packed my bag. And I don't intend to. But so we do it so fatafat, no? In the church. Whatever, we pack and we are out. And we take that bag, that kachara bag, and we go to another church and we dump it there. Let's have the courage to be sincere love. Yes? yes? Are we committed to that? That might probably mean you have some conversations to have. Huh? So, why? Because we are new creations. We are born from above. We are born by, from this indestructible seed. Again, coming back to the seed, the enduring word of God. Does this remind you of another hyperlink? In John 1, 13, he says, Children not born of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We are born of God. That seed indestructible, your faith that will neither perish nor spoil, we will see him one day. But let's have the right motivation. Let's have the right mindset. Let's have the right outworking and the right manner. So to conclude, let's look. We said, you know, Peter's reminding his readers of the true gospel. Don't forget don't allow it to get diluted or corrupted. Hold on to what is true and what is good. Okay? He's reminding them of who they are. They are the strangers, the elect, the special, the chosen, bought by the sprinkled blood of Jesus, bought by this blood, by this spotless lamb, without spot, wrinkle, without blemish, purchased not with gold or silver, bought by the blood of God. He's reminding them and that our salvation, our faith must translate into action and that action is displayed in how well we love each other. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Hyperlink. If you have love one for another. Not can we love deeply from the heart. Sincere love. Sincere means <coughs> they had pottery in those days. You know, if it was cracked, they would put some wax or something and cover it up. Sincere comes from that word without wax. Means it's clean, it's perfect. <coughs> no flaw. Okay? So let's ask ourselves some questions. Let's just pause, let's just think.
Are we living by a standard that is above and beyond that of the world? <coughs> Are we practicing love for each other? Sincerely. When was the last time you texted someone, gave them a no reason call? Just ask them, how are you doing? When was the last time you just, you know, thinking about you? Or maybe invited someone for a meal, for chai. How do we respond when trials and testings come our way? Do we say, why God? Can we turn that into what God? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to learn about my security, my identity as a son? Or what do you want me to learn in how I exercise my authority as a son? What do you want me to learn about your character that becomes real to me in this time of testing? Can you see that as your faith being refined and being made pure gold? It says, your faith of greater worth than gold. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that this word will become incarnate in our lives, flesh. It will take on action. We will obey no matter what it costs. In Jesus' name, amen.